Hello, and welcome to another installment of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. I'm your host, Greg. I'm joined, as always, by Dominic. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to discuss a Little League World Series recap. With that Little League World Series, we're actually going to discuss players that have played in both the Little League World Series and the Major League Baseball World Series. So a very short list out of uh, what has actually been played in players that have played in both those Little League World Series and Major League World Series. You'd think there'd be the number to be bigger, but it's smaller than you think. We're going to discuss the Mets thumbs down problem or whatever you might think of it. We're going to get your take on it. We're going to discuss if we have any changes to our World Series predictions. And as always, we'll do the standings rundown at the end, followed by weird or odd facts about baseball that we discovered this week, thought we'd share with you. So getting started, we're going to go right into the Little League World Series. Taylor North Little League uh, out of Michigan won the Little League World Series this past week with a victory of 5-2. to two. It's the first time since 1959 that Michigan has actually won a Little League World Series. So that was kind of cool to bring back to them, you know, some 60 years later, 62 years later to be exact. They played Hamilton Westside Little League out of Ohio. So it was a nice little bit of Midwestern, mm-hmm. you know, with the team up north <laughs> that we played. Michigan third baseman Jackson Surma. Uh, if you watched any bit of this, these games, this kid was a all-out beast the entire time. This kid was just lights out the entire game. You know, hitting doubles, hitting singles, going up the. You know, if you did, you see the um, when he hit that double and he got on second base and he just, you know, he he put his arms up and flexed and it was just like, it was it was great to see. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it live, but I saw, um, I think I was just scrolling through Twitter and I, I saw it and I saw it was so cool. Yeah, he was definitely the spark for the team for the game. He drove in the game's first two runs, and I believe in the first inning, and then came around to score on a ground out later in the inning. And in the bottom of the fifth, he provided two critical insurance runs and another two RBI hit. So that got the score to five to one. Uh, Ohio came back a little bit, loaded the bases twice, actually once in the first and once in the third, but left ba- you know people stranded on the bases and they couldn't quite get those those runs across the plate. Right-hander Ethan Van Bell picked up the win for Michigan. He, like I said, he dodged some trouble when he loaded the bases, but he lasted throughout that and was able to get out of that jam. Gavin Ulin. About the save, he allowed a run and a hit and three walks over two innings, but he put that up with a pair of strikeouts, so that was really cool. He so uh, recorded two hits and scored two runs of offense for Ohio. Gavin Sailor came off the bench and recorded a pair of hits, while Chase Moak recorded both of his team's run. It's pretty good. What did you think of the uh, entire? I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, definitely. Um, was a little bit more interested in the championship game with the Ohio and Michigan rivalry. Um, but overall, I, I think that the championship game was was pretty entertaining. And just the, the level of, of talent that these kids have at such a young age for baseball is just, you know, I always thought it was impressive. But you know, these kids seem to be getting better and better. You know, I, I, think, I think it's good for the game. It, it shows that the, the future of baseball is going to be in good hands, you know, down the road. Yeah, I mean, just the amount of like plate discipline these kids had, and and just seeing, how, you know, them taking 
you know, ground balls and throwing to first and just like learning that much discipline in the game itself, you know, is just at, like you said, that that's such a young age is so refreshing to see and that, mm-hmm. you know, going forward that we're going to have some, some really talented people come out and progress up through the, the those little leagues and high school, college, and you know, possibly on to major league baseball. Yeah, I mean, some of these kids had better plate discipline than uh, some people that have seen the major leagues. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's for true. They should actually maybe watch some tape and see if uh, they can learn a thing or two. Right. Well, talking about the Little League World Series, I, I kind of got to thinking, and I know Nick and I discussed this on our Ohioverse episode of, of, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, could play these Little League World Series and and how many actually have played in a Little League World Series and then gone on to actually play in a Major League Baseball World Series. And I, when I originally kind of had that idea in my head, I thought, well, this is it's got to be a huge number. I mean, there's little tons of kids that are playing throughout the you know United States and even the world. So we've seen mm-hmm. Venezuela and you know Mexico and all that. All those kids have played. So the number has got to be, you know, 40, 50 people that have played in both the Little League World Series and the Major League World Series. So I started to do some research and it was surprising as heck to me that in all of that, everybody that's played in both World Series and Little League World Series, there's only been 14 people yeah. that have actually played in both. And that just blew my mind. So I'm going to kind of just go over that list and, and, and get your takes on any of them if you have anything. That you... So the first one ever to do it was Jim Barberetti. He played in the 1954 Little League World Series and then on to play in the 1966 World Series. Next, we have Boog Powell. He played in the Little League World Series in 1954 for Florida and then also played in the 1966 World Series. Next, we have, so that's a tie for the first two to do it because both played in the Little League World Series opposing teams in 1954 and then both played in the 1966 world series so that's kind of cool I, I just realized that so the first two to do it were you know both the same you know that that's crazy blows my mind mm-hmm. next we have rick weiss he played in the 1958 little league world series out of oregon and then went on to do the 1975 world series and then you got to skip ahead another 21 years before it happens Again, with Dwight Gooden, played in the 1979 Little League World Series out of Tampa, Florida. And then with the Mets in the 1986 World Series. Fifth on the list is Carney Lansford, 1969 Little League World Series. And then the 1988 and 1990 World Series. Next on the list, we have Derek Bell. He actually played in two Little League World Series, uh, both out of Tampa, 1980 and 1981 Little League World Series, and then went on to play in the 1992 Major League Baseball World. Seventh, we've got Charlie Hayes, 1977 out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, 1996 World Series for him. Then we get some names we're starting to see. Gary Sheffield, 1980. World Series out of Tampa, mm-hmm. Florida. So I see that Gary Sheffield and Derek Bell both played on the 1980 Little League World Series together. Gary Sheffield went on to play in the 1997 Major League Baseball World Series. And then we have Eric Vossberg, and we're actually going to talk about him a little bit later. 
He played in the 1973 Little League World Series out of Tucson, Arizona, and went on to play in that 1997 World Series. Tenth on the list, we have Jason Marquez. He played 1991 Little League World Series out of Staten Island, New York, and then went on to play in the 2000 World Series, I believe, for the Cardinals, not mistaken. And number 11, Jason Veritek. He played in the 1984 Little League World Series out of Altamont Springs, Florida, and he went on to play for the 2004 World Series champion Red Sox. Moving a little bit down the list, Yosemero Pettit. He played in the 1994 Little League World Series, and that was for Venezuela. So that was really cool. And then did the 19, I'm sorry, the 2014 World Series. We have Michael Conforto. He played in the 2004. So then we jump ahead a little, a little bit. He played for the Northwest Region Little League World Series and did the 2015 World Series. And then last on the list, is Cody Bellinger. He played in the 2007 Little League World Series. And then 10 short years later, he's on the biggest stage in the world at the 2017 yep. World Major League Baseball World Series. That's got to have been a fast 10 years for him. He also, <laughs> yeah. did, he also did the 2018 World Series. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an impressive list. I mean, um, obviously some of the earlier guys I didn't recognize, but I mean, Gary Sheffield, Jason Veritek, those are guys that I grew up watching. And then Conforto and Bellager are, you know, some of the top players in baseball right now. You know, it, it really shows that these kids have a future in this game, you know, just because they're kids, you know, they're should probably remember some of these standout names because you might be seeing them in the big leagues for a while. Yeah. And it, it just it just shows how hard it is you know, to, to attain something like that, that to play at such a high level at a young age and then continue that, like we said, discipline of, of, of training, training your body, you know, conditioning and all that to, to be able to do it again at a different stage, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the major league baseball world series. It's just, it's crazy. I, like I said, I thought that number was going to be so much bigger and I was like, okay, you know, like just 14 just, just blew my mind. Yeah. So out of that 14, I had to do a little bit more research because I was like, well, you know, there's there's not just the Little League World Series and there's not just the Major League Baseball World Series. It's the College World Series, too. So this is where that number I was said this this has got to be a small number. And I was actually correct with that, that, that there have only been three players ever to play in a Little League World Series, a College Baseball World Series and a major league baseball world series. So we've talked about these names just on this previous list, but Ed Vosberg, he participated in the little league world series in 1973 out of Tucson. As I said, they were the runners up, so they did not win it, but he did go on to win the college world series for the university of Arizona in 1980. And then went on to the 1997 Major League Baseball World Series game guy we talked about just a little bit ago. And, you know, we, we both grew up watching was that Jason Veritek, you know, tech behind mm-hmm. the plate. He participated in the Little League World Series in Altamont Springs in 1984. The College World Series for Georgia Institute of Technology. They were the runners up for that in 1994. And then he played in both 
the 2004 and 2007 Boston Red Sox World Champion World Series for that. And then uh, somebody, like I said, just, you know, just recently, Michael Conforto, he uh, he played in the Little League World Series in 2004 for the Northwest region. He played in the College World Series for Oregon State University. And they lost in the Super Regional. And then he went on to play in the 2015 World. So that, that again, how how crazy is it to just continue to play at an elite level to be able to accomplish all those those goals it's it's like you're a kid and so you say hey you know little league world series that's that's the cream of the crop this is the best i'll ever get and then you keep on playing and you're like well wait a minute like okay i'm in college now and wow like oh my team's really good okay the college world series that's that's where it is you know and i can hope to maybe get on a major league team but you know and then and then to be able to just move that forward a step more and then be part of of a major league baseball world series that's just that's just amazing yeah it's the the fact that only three people have done it 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 just shows how impressive of of a feat that is um because we just took to win at every level you know that you play at is not something that you see every day and i you know you got you got to respect the hell out of these guys that were able to do it because yeah obviously three people throughout the entirety of the history of Major League Baseball have done it. You know that that deserves some some respect right there. All right, moving on. If you haven't, you know, you've been living under a rock and you haven't watched Sports Center lately. Uh, the New York Mets have had a little bit of a an issue, a problem. I don't know, some drama going on on the field. Uh, every time Javi Baez or Francisco Lindor came off the field either a hit or a strikeout or whatever they were doing, they were given the thumbs down kind of sign to each other as kind of a, a little jib at the fans that were booing him. And I don't know. What's your take on that? I, it, it's, it's disgraceful to be honest with you. Um, you know, you, they were getting booed for reasons because they've been playing like garbage, you know, especially because, you know, these players, you know, Lindor and, and Baez, they're not, you know, making the league minimum. You know, Lindor signed a three hundred million dollar deal in the off season, and when you're getting paid that much and you're regarded as one of the best players in baseball, well, fans are going to expect you to play well. And you know, he hasn't been playing well all season, and he should know being in New York is a lot different than being in Cleveland. the The news media out there is a lot more harsh and it's a lot less forgiving than it is in Cleveland. Um, so he should have known going into the season that fans are going to have higher expectations for him and they're not as forgiving there. So just the, the fact that, you know, they're, they're pretty much giving thumbs down to the fans is just not something that you want to do. It, it, it looks bad. You know, the, these are supposed to be role models. You know, the kids that we were just talking about in the little league world series are watching them. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's not something that, you, you really want to do it. It's just disrespectful. Um, you know, the, the, these are the fans of your team. You know, they, they came out to support you. You know, they're, they're allowed to boo you. If you're not doing well, then, you know, it's not like they were saying mean things. It's not like they were throwing stuff at you. It's just booing. And if you can't handle it, well, then you're playing in the wrong market. You know, I, I, I really don't know what happened to Lindor. Um, you know, watching him for all those years in Cleveland, he just seemed like a happy guy that, 
just loved playing baseball. And it seems like he's maybe just being in New York, he can't really handle the pressure, but he doesn't seem like the same person. Um, So I I don't know what's going on with him, but it definitely doesn't look good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, it's disappointing to see, you know, obviously Baez came out of Chicago with the Cubs and I mean, he was, a he was, just considered a god out there, you know, because he was able to bring that World Series to to Chicago. And Lindor was, you know, the golden child in Cleveland. And it it from things I've heard and stuff I've you know I've read is that Midwestern teams tend to be a little bit more forgiving and a little bit more nicer, I guess you could say. And I'm not this is not a dig towards uh New York fans at all. So please don't take it as this is that you know Mets fans are a little bit more fickle. You know, I, I read one commentator that said that, you know, how many thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars he spent on tickets and on fan gear and on meet and greets and all this, that and the other. And that, you know, he's allowed to be, you know, upset with you if you're not doing good. And and the professional thing to do is to just, you know, nod your head and, and, and just continue to grind and try to get better. And when you're coming back basically back at the fans and saying like you know what you're booing me i'm booing you back like two can play this game it, it just seems very petty and and yeah it's disrespectful really to immature that disrespectful to people that technically they're not paying his contract but if you think about it without all those jerseys and without all those ticket sales the, the organization doesn't have the money to pay you so in right. a way you are being paid by the fans in in a backwards sort of way, so you, you need to take ownership that that you you are playing for them. You're not playing for just yourself, right? And if you don't want to get booed, then play better. You know, it, if the the organization is paying you three hundred million dollars, you know they're they're expecting more than you know. I, I think he's batting two twenty now, two twenty with a, eleven or twelve home runs. You know, <laughs> that that's not really good numbers to be putting up when you're getting paid that much. No, I, mean, um, I, I know, you know, Baez has a little bit of a history with, you know, maybe having some attitude issues um, in Chicago, but, you know, again, being in Midwest markets, they're, you know, maybe a little bit more forgiving, um, maybe willing to look past some stuff because, you know, maybe they're not as used to winning. I mean, up until 2016, it was a hundred years or over a hundred years before the Cubs won the world series. Indians haven't won it since 1948. So a lot of these organizations, they're not really used to to winning as much. So maybe they're a little bit more forgiving. But New York is a completely different monster. And if you're not performing, they're going to let you know. And yeah. if you can't handle it, then I think you need to go find a new team to play for. I, 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 unfortunately, I don't think that either of them are going to be gone, you know, or, or going anywhere anytime soon. And yeah. to put a cap on this, they, they both did actually come out and apologize two bands in a public statement saying that, you know, it was, it was just not what they were intending. Um, they took turns apologizing, you know, for each. So hopefully that can be the end of it. And that moving forward, it's kind of a little small stain on the, the, the team and the players that, that, you know, like we say, it, it, we're one, you know, home run or grand slam away from forgetting what happened the day before. So. Yeah. Uh, if, I mean, with the roster that the Mets have, I mean, if they can turn it around and start winning, I think fans will kind of overlook it and maybe forgive them for it. But 
you know, it doesn't look like a team that's going to make the playoffs this year with as low of a roster that they have. Um, if they don't turn it around next year, I think this is going to be something that, you know, fans are going to keep looking back to. Yeah, because right now they're only really playing 500 baseball. Yeah. All right, moving on. So in recent episodes, we had discussed our World Series predictions, and I know we'd kind of gone back and forth with a few things. So your original pick for the World Series predictions, I think you did Red Sox-Dodgers the first time around, and then White Sox-Dodgers the second time around. Yeah. So where are you at now? Um, I'm still set on the Dodgers. I, I think um, they're clearly the best team in the National League. Um, I think the the Giants are going to give them a run for their money, as they have been all season. Um, but the Dodgers have caught up to them. I, I know earlier this week they overtook first place. I think uh, the Dodgers and Giants are tied for first place right now. Yeah. Um, I think we could potentially see these teams in the NLCS, but I just think the Dodgers roster is too it's too deep and it's too strong. Um, they'll exploit whatever small weaknesses that the Giants roster has. And over a seven game series, you know, I, I the Giants could steal a couple of them, but I don't think they have enough to really go a whole seven game series and beat them. Um, so for that matter, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Dodgers in the NL, but for the AL, I might have to change my, my prediction again. Um, I think it's either going to be the White Sox or it's going to be the Rays. Um, and honestly, I might have to go with the Rays at this point. I know the White Sox have a couple injuries right now in their rotation. Um, the bats have slowed down a little bit. I mean, they still have a comfortable lead in the division. Um, they pretty much have that locked up at this point. Um, but the Rays are just so impressive with their pitching. Um, their lineup, you know, it. looking at the roster, it's not a lineup that really jumps out at you, but it is – it's, it's just solid. And the, these guys just know how to win. And they always seem to come up in, in clutch situations. And they, they have the pitching to back it up. You know, they they lost Tyler Glass now, probably for the season at this point. I think he just had Tommy John surgery. But their rotation of the bullpen has not missed a beat at all. Um, and you would think losing someone like Glass now, there would be a drop off, but there hasn't. So I, I think that could be a team that we might see back in the World Series this year. Nice, nice. Well, my first go-round, I believe I had Red Sox. I honestly think I had uh, San Diego the first time around, and then I had changed my tune. Second time around, I did White Sox and the Dodgers, and I'm actually going to change my tune again, uh, in, in at least in the National League. In the American League, I think it's going to be the White Sox. I think that they're just sitting too comfortably um, in their division, I think they've been able to rest uh, a lot of their guys and put in some, bring up some guys, to, you know, to trade out a little bit. So you're getting, and I just think that that the White Sox are going to be the one. I think it's going to be a White Sox raise uh, ALCS. And I, I just think that, that I've seen enough of the Rays to see that they're flaws. And I think that mm -hmm. the White Sox just have a, a thicker core, if that makes any sense, that that in the long run and that end up what's definitely going to go a seven game series. Um, but yeah. I think that the white Sox are going to squeak it out. Moving on to the national league. I think we, you know, obviously I, I was rooting for San Diego, but that 
kind of gone by the wayside as of now. <laughs> so I don't think that that's anything, you know, I think that they came out hot in the beginning of the year and, and that was something that we were excited about, but quickly diminished. So I'm saying it's going to be Dodgers, Milwaukee, and I think it's going to be the same seven game series front to back. I think Milwaukee is, is going to be the ones that are going to come out in the end. And I know we, you and I have talked about this before, Dom, how just, like I said, front to back, they have just got a quality team of, yeah. of a lot of guys that are just grinders and a lot of guys that are, are just consistent, consistent, consistent. And the Dodgers ha- have some flaws, and like I said, it, it, they they've if they do pull it out, it's because they've paid for for the win. If that makes any sense to you, with with what they did at the All Star break or not the All Star oh, break, but the trade deadline. So, but looking at it on paper and looking at it a little bit deeper into the lineups, I think Milwaukee, the Brewers are going to definitely um, surprise a few people when it comes down to this stretch towards the end. Like I said, they're they're sitting comfortably ten games ahead of Cincinnati, and they decent easy schedule for the rest of the year or for the rest of the month. And and then I think if you can rest enough and and bring up some guys to give some some guys a little bit of a, a chance to you know that expanded playoff roster, you'd be surprised at what happens. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I, I hope you're right. I would love to see you know, a small market team like Milwaukee make it to the World Series. Um, I've always kind of liked them as a team. That I think they might have one of, if not the best pitching staffs in baseball uh, this year. And, you know, they, they do have a really strong lineup, especially with Christian Yelich and uh, bringing over Willie Adamas from uh, Tampa Bay. You know, I, I hope you're right. I, I hope they're able to overtake uh, the Dodgers. And I, I think that if you a World Series like a White Sox Brewers World Series, I think would be more entertaining because it's it's teams that you know the White Sox haven't been to the World Series since what 2005, I believe. Yep. Um. So I, I just think it, this, some people were just tired of the same teams getting to the playoffs and the same teams winning, you know, over yeah. and over uh, again. And I mean, I'm I'm a Red Sox fan, and I'll even say that it's like let's let's get some other teams the the, the time to shine. Yeah, and I do like that it would be two two teams that are pretty much underdogs. Um, I know the going into the year, the White Sox were, you know, everyone expected them to do well, but up until this year, they were, you know, always last or next to last in the division. Um, the Brewers have been pretty consistent over the last couple of years, but um, haven't been able to get over the hump. Um, and I think the fact that these two cities are only like an hour and a half apart I think we'll add an interesting, an interesting little touch to the, to the series if we're able to get this World Series. Um, just the cities being so close, I think it's going to make it you know, a little bit more tense. Well, and think about like, and, and I just think about this is that think about the travel rest that they'd be able to get. You'd have such fresher players, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. You know, if you're traveling the East Coast to West Coast, West Coast to East Coast, back and forth, you know, like that that can wear on your body mentally, physically. You know, uh, anybody who's taken a plane trip from West Coast to East Coast or East Coast to West Coast, you, you know, yep. it takes your body, you know, a day or two to, to kind of figure it back out. And, and if you're doing that and then playing a game the next day, it's like, you know, what are you doing? It, yeah, it's it's exhausting. I mean, I, I only made that kind of flight once and it took me like three days to to adjust the time change. You know, I, I can't imagine 
landing in the morning and then the next evening playing a baseball game. It, you know, it, it wears on you. And I, I think only having, you know, an hour, hour and a half of travel time on a bus, you know, having fresher players means we're going to have better games because sure, players correct. that can be rested and we're going to have, you know, players that are able to play up to their full potential, which, yes. you know, it's a win-win for us. You know, we get better games to watch. And I, I think people will be more tuned into the games because they're going to be better. Yeah. Well, here's to hoping. <laughs> All right. Next, we're going to hit up our standings rundown. Start with the American League. The Tampa Bay Rays are sitting comfortably with a seven and a half game lead in the American League East with a record of 86 and 50. They're eight and two in their last 10. American League Central talked about them just a little bit ago with the Chicago White Sox, uh, 10 and a half game lead uh, over Cleveland. They're sitting with 79 wins, 57 losses, and they are seven and three in their last 10. Moving out west for the American League, Houston is got a five and a half game lead over Oakland. So we've seen that number slowly, slowly go down uh, over the last couple of weeks. And so who knows what could possibly happen. And But again, Houston is sitting atop the uh, AL West with a record of 79 and 56, and they are six and four over their last 10. Moving on to the National League. Atlanta is sitting only two games up on Philly for the National League East, and that's another race that we've seen that number slowly, slowly diminish. I mean, I think at one point in time they had 10 games up or something like that, and that's just slowly gone down. But Atlanta is still uh, ahead in National League East with a record of 71 and 64. That has shown with a only a three and seven record over the last 10 games. National League Central, as we just discussed, Milwaukee has a 10-game lead over Cincinnati with a record of 83-54. and 54. Uh, They've done uh, 500 baseball over the last 10s, 5-5, and five. so we'll see where that goes, but I don't think that there is any chance that they're going to give up that lead. And then in the AO, or I'm sorry, the National League West, as we discussed at the earlier part, the Dodgers and San Francisco are tied atop the National League West with a records of 86 and 50. The Dodgers, though, are seven and three of their last 10, and San Francisco's only four and six. So it seems like if this trend continues that the Dodgers might pull away with that next week or two, but we will definitely have to see. When it comes to the wildcard standings, you got the New York Yankees, uh, f- half a game up on the Red Sox for the first Wild card spot, a record of 78 and 57. They are also five and five in their last 10. And the Boston Red Sox, 79 and 59. They are four games ahead of Oakland for that second wild card spot. And the Red Sox have been doing good with seven and three over their last 10. When it comes to the National League wild card, it's, it's not even close. It, it, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I pray for Cincinnati, but it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, San Francisco and the Dodgers are both 13 and a half games ahead of anything, you know, anybody else. And so I just, I think we, we're, we've seen what is going to be for the National League, but it's plausible that some things could change. We've got, you know, a couple more episodes before we get into playoffs. And then once we get into the playoffs, we'll go from there. Absolutely. So as always, we finish our 
episode with one weird or odd fact about baseball that we found out this week that we just thought we'd share with you that's something a little different that is out of the norm. So, Dominic, I'll start with you. What was that one little weird fact that you found out about baseball this week? Yeah, um, it's not really something that I would I would think is weird. Um, just um, something that I found really interesting, and it's the fact that the uh, Griffies, uh, senior and junior, were the first father-son duo to ever play together in a major league game. Now, I think there's only been two uh, father-son duos in baseball um, with the Bonses and, and the Griffies, but the Griffies were the first to do it. Um, I think it's something really cool, um, you know, to be able to play a major league game with your dad or with your son. It, I think that that's something really special and probably something that we're not going to see for a while. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, and just to see that at a young age, you know, Griffey Jr. was able to play at such a high level. And then the fact that his dad was still at his older age, was still able to play at that high level as well. It just shows shows heart and determination and and that's what a special moment that those two can share together that like you said it never happened before and probably a long time before it ever happens again yeah yeah absolutely so my little odd fact about baseball that i learned this week is that tony gwynn arguably one of the best hitters in baseball if not i mean we uh, you and i discussed before that that pete rose is you know one of the best hitters in baseball if not the best but tony gwynn is easily in that conversation over and over again. And, and I could see arguments for putting Tony going above, above him many, many times. So again, different topic for a different episode, but Tony Gwynn faced Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox, a total of 323 times. So that's a, that's a lot of baseball. That's a lot of pitches thrown at you. Out of those 323 times, Tony Gwynn only struck out three times batting against these Hall of Fame pitchers, Hall of Fame pitchers, and you only strike out three times? That's so impressive. I mean, just the amount of plate discipline you have, the, the, the eye for baseball that you're able to draw the walks or make contact off of these, these amazing pitchers just when I saw that fact, I, I literally, I, I dropped my phone. I was like, that can't be correct. There's no way that that could be correct. So I got on the computer and I looked it up and I was like, holy crap, that is, that is a true fact that he only struck out three times facing those, those monumental pitchers. Yeah. I mean, hitting a baseball is probably the hardest thing to do in sports and to go up against some of the best pitchers to ever pitch in major league baseball and only strike out three times. That that's absolutely amazing. Yeah lights out and, and much respect to tony gwen and uh if you haven't ever seen him bat or, or seen any of his highlights they do yourself a favor get on youtube or whatever and and look at some of the at-bats that he will accomplish he, he's definitely uh, an important person in baseball and uh, obviously shows how good he is facing the best pitchers in baseball. absolutely with that this is the end of on deck thank you guys for tuning in listening make sure you subscribe Hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at deep.dive.sports on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for any update. And please let us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next. As always, we are Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.